Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Now, there's a metaphor that just resonates deeply with our 21st century American context, right? Any of you guys grow up on a sheep farm? Me neither. Uh, I grew up in LA. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I'd recognize a sheep farm if I saw one. So we've got some work to do. Um, We're in a series and it's based on the I am statements of Jesus. And we, we thought this was important because there are just so many opinions and claims about who Jesus is today. And in these I am statements, Jesus himself describes who he is. He's revealing himself to us. And and this is something that God has always done. Uh, He revealed in the Old Testament, he revealed himself in several ways, through a pillar of fire, uh, in a cloud, through various miracles. Um, He reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. And in that moment, Moses asks, you know, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me. Like, what's your name? And God says to him, tell them that I am sent you. So when Jesus is making these I am statements, it was well understood that he was also making the claim that he was God. He's not just in a fire. He's not just in a cloud or in a bush. God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so each of these I am statements is an invitation. It's an explanation of what our lives would look like if we were to surrender to him. Like, What would it look like if I just gave myself over to Jesus? And so today we're going to look at this claim that Jesus made that I am the good shepherd. And this is a pretty well-known passage. Uh, If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a sermon that kind of details what shepherding looked like in the first century and how we can apply those concepts to us today. And it's actually how I tend to, to preach because I think it's important for us to get to the heart of the issue, to understand what the original audience heard, and then bring it into our context. But I'm not going to do that this morning, primarily because I think most of you have heard that sermon. And it doesn't mean it's not valuable, but I also recognize that we have this tendency as humans to um, check out. Not you, not you. You would never do that to me. Um, but I would hate for you to miss out this important um, message that Jesus has for us. And I would add to it, um, just a few weeks ago, Kirk gave us a really great message on Jesus as our shepherd. And so if you missed that, highly encourage you to go check it out online. So what I want you to know is this text is not primarily about shepherding. It's, it's really about leadership. And our culture just aches for good leadership, doesn't it? I mean, it's groaning for good leadership. Just look at the political landscape. 
and, and all of the various opinions that are out there, how every four years someone new steps forth and asserts that they alone can bring America back to the place where it's supposed to be. And most people's response? Mm, doubt it. So who do we trust to lead us? Should we trust celebrities and their endorsements? Should we trust the, the uh, media to lead us? What about your parents? Now, if you're a teenager in the room, let me uh, give a disclaimer. You absolutely should listen to your parents. But for the adults in the room, what about us? Do we listen to our parents? Wisdom from another generation. Like, who do we listen to? And there's been so much abuse in leadership that I feel like we have this deep, cynical suspicion about anyone who says, trust me, follow me. I'm going to lead you towards flourishing. And it's not that we won't trust anyone, but to gain our trust, they have to work through all of our suspicions about their power dynamics, our suspicions about their agenda, this feeling that I just can't trust leadership. And it creates a real problem because we long to be led. We, we long for someone to give us a compelling picture of the future that we can align ourselves under and follow. Like this is in the heart of humanity. But the question we're really asking is who can I trust to really lead and care for me? Who can I entrust with my well-being that they'll care for my heart, that they're going to lead me into the future that my heart actually aches for? And that's really what this passage is about. So in the context of this passage, there's, there's two things that I want you to see. The first, uh, we should at least address the shepherding metaphor. And so this was obviously great cultural significance in first century Judaism. Uh, the shepherd was a prominent figure uh, primarily because of King David. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, King David, he started out as a shepherd, um, a man after God's own heart. And so they had this deep understanding of a shepherd and his relationship to the sheep. You know, this was part of their economy. It was part of their wealth. They, they spent a lot of time with the sheep. And they actually, um, shepherds would develop this intimate relationship, like deep friendships with sheep. Kind of interesting. Um, but they just, they cared for them. And that was a part of the metaphor that Jesus was using. But the second thing, and the thing that I think uh, I want us to camp out on today, is about leadership. And if you go back to the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry, you see this sort of arc where the religious leaders begin to hate him. So at the end of John chapter 7, Jesus, he stands up at the festival of tabernacles. In the middle of this important ceremony, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I mean, what a claim, right? Imagine you're in a church meeting and somebody says, if any of you are thirsty, come to me. I will be the one to satisfy your thirst, I mean, people would be like, this guy is out of his ever-loving gourd. Like, what is he talking about? And this is the response that Jesus got. The pe people would say things like, is he demon-possessed? 
Like, why is he talking like this? So they don't like Jesus's word. John chapter 8, they drag a woman out who's caught in adultery in front of Jesus as a trap. They get upset because Jesus's rhetorical skills are just a little bit stronger than theirs. They end up dropping their stones and walking away frustrated that the trap they laid did not work. They don't like Jesus's mercy. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. They don't like the time that he does it. They don't like the spirit in which he does it. And so again, they begin to attack him. They don't like Jesus's power. And so things are reaching a boiling point between Jesus and the leaders. And what Jesus is doing here essentially is he's asking the question, who will you have lead you? This is a leadership assertion by Jesus, his invitation to respond to his leadership, to come under his leadership. So with that in mind, that question, who will you have lead you? I think it's only fitting that we look at a few of the options available to us here today. So the first option, we're going to call it cultural shepherding. Cultural shepherding. Um, Our culture is basically saying, follow me. And then it'll disciple you into a vision of life. And so a while back, I found myself in a bit of like this cultural leadership wormhole. And um, I was reading a book called Nudge. It's a fascinating book. And it talks about how people create choice frameworks that influence outcomes and decision making without people necessarily knowing they've been influenced kind of sneaky. They call this choice architecture. And if you indirectly influence the choices other people make, you are a choice architect. So the book says this, a choice architect has the responsibility for organizing the context in which people make decisions. So a lot of times, choice architects don't even realize that they are choice architects. Give you some examples. If you design the ballot that voters use to choose candidates in any sort of election, you're a choice architect. If you're a doctor and you're describing treatment options, you are a choice architect. If you design the form that employees use to choose their health benefits, you're a choice architect. If you're a parent, and you're just describing various education options for your child, you're a choice architect. If you're a salesperson, you're a choice architect, but you already knew that. The book gave several examples to illustrate this point. So they did some research in school cafeterias. So kids go to the cafeteria, right? And their lunch options are pizza or nuggets and fries. Coke or Sprite? Cake or cookies? Like terrible options. So they begin to introduce alternatives, replacing desserts with fruit. And so instead of asking, do you want cake or do you want an apple? Obvious choice, right? Would you like an apple, an orange, or a banana? You choose. And so they started giving these types of options and they monitored results. And in some studies, kids lost as much as 26% of their weight. Like amazing turnarounds just by changing the options and the order in which they offered things. 
So the goal is to architect environments and allow the environment to shape you. So whoever controls the framework controls the environment. Whoever controls the choices that are handed to you determines the outcome. And most people are willing to give you the illusion of freedom as long as they control the framework of the outcome. You with me, parents? Choice architecture. So, of all the people who lived in the United States, in all the governmental institutions and agencies in 2016, America said the best we can do is Hillary and Donald. America, behold your future. You get to choose. Now, this is not about politics. This is about choice architecture. So the point isn't who you voted for or what your opinions are on either candidate. The point is that very few people went in to vote thinking, you know, it's so clear to me that there's one candidate that is superior in terms of high integrity and high moral standards that I can place my trust in. You know, and honestly, for me, I would look at things in each of the candidates' lives that made me think, this is not the kind of choice architecture that I want. Now, you might say, that, that's all fine and well, but it, it doesn't really affect me. It's, it's kind of distant. It's, it doesn't have a lot to do with my day-to-day. But how is your heart when someone asks you a question or says something about President Biden? Like, what happens in your heart? Is it, Father, bless him, it must be so hard to lead America? Or is it anger, bitterness, vitriol? I can't wait until the next election. It seems far away, yet your heart has been affected by the choice architecture of our political system. So even things that seem distant have this incredible capacity to shape you. It's choice architecture. You're being shepherded by the choices that culture is offering you. So think about your life. You've been culturally shepherded through choice architecture. Culture is shaping your decision-making through the way that it presents and offers you options. And what happens is we're actually just like these sheep in Turkey. Turkish sheep died in mass jump. Mm -hmm. So there's 1,500 sheep. And one sheep sees the cliff and goes, hmm, wonder what's down there. Ah! And 1,499 sheep go, oh, I think I'm going to follow that guy. And they all jump this cliff. 400 sheep die, but it's okay, guys. Sheep are soft and fluffy. So 1,100 sheep lived. I mean, my point is this. One sheep is just like, and the rest are like, I'm in, let's go. And this is why politicians use the term sheeple. Just get one person. Just get a few celebrities, a few public figures, and everyone else Well, just roll with it. Sheeple. It's why we see celebrity endorsements for candidates. Like it just takes the right celebrity to get people to join in. 
So, okay, I know it's um, spring forward day, and we're off to a really great, uplifting start, aren't we here? Um, You're welcome. If we can't look to culture to lead us, where can we look? Some people would then say, well, you need to look to the church for guidance. You need to look to religion. And this would be religious shepherding. Can we trust a religious institution? Can we trust the church? And a lot of people would say, no way. They have a 2,000-year track record of abuse, coercion, control, and hypocrisy. Anytime the church seems to accumulate enough power to run things, it produces a society that excludes and oppresses. The leadership of the church doesn't seem to lead to this wonderful, flourishing life. And Jesus talks about this in verses 11 through 13. He um, uses this word to critique the religious leaders of his day. He calls them hired hands. So this is what he says. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, He abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, there seems to be some division amongst scholars on exactly like who Jesus is talking to, but nearly every scholar or commentary that I've referenced looking at this um, brought up a passage from Ezekiel 34. And so this is God's critique of unjust leaders. It says this, it says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Self-feeding, eating the fat, Wearing the wool, slaughtering the fat ones, not caring for and tending to the sheep. They were using the flock for their own personal benefit. This was God's critique of the religious leaders. Now, the question is, are these words of Jesus and these words from Ezekiel, are they referring to just terrible leaders or any leader that is not Jesus? Because you have people on both sides of this. So, so John MacArthur says this. He says, the hired hand symbolizes the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders and by extension, all false shepherds. They're always mercenaries doing the ministry, not for the love of the souls of men or even love for the truth, but for money. Therefore, they flee at the first sign of threat to their well-being because they are not concerned about the sheep. 
Their overriding priority is self-preservation. And the last thing they care to do is sacrifice themselves for anyone. And so this is clearly, in his estimation, an indictment on bad leaders. But he really doesn't say much about his own leadership. It's, this is just an observation. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones here. I tend to think of this more along the lines of R.C. Sproul, who said this, when the master of a flock is tending his own sheep and a wolf threatens, he stands in the gap and uses his rod to beat off the attack. If necessary, he lays down his life for his sheep, for they are his. Not so with a hireling. He doesn't own the sheep. So if he sees a wolf coming, he flees. He thinks, my life is worth more to me than these sheep. Let the wolves have them. He continues by saying this. He says, I tell my congregation that they are God's sheep. I don't own them. They don't belong to me. Christ is their shepherd. The best they can hope from me is that I'll be a good hireling. That is all I can ever be, a hireling. Therefore, I tell them that they should not look to me, but to Christ, who is their good shepherd, the one who will never desert them. I am a hired hand. Kirk is a hired hand. Paul, Caesar, Taylor, our future pastor, our previous pastor, Jeff, all hired hands. We are not the owners. You don't belong to us. The best you can hope for is that we're good hirelings, that, that each of us would shepherd you with a heart that reflects the heart of God. And it's our prayer, it's our hope, it's our goal that we would never fail you in effort. But rest assured, make no mistake, we are going to fail you because we're people because we are just hirelings. And that's why we pray for God's guidance as we search for a new pastor. Now, obviously, I think there is great value in being a part of the local church. But don't put me on a pedestal. Don't put our next pastor or any of our leaders on a pedestal. Don't look to us for all the answers. Know that we care for you. We'll do our best to lead you well. But Jesus is the true and good shepherd. So, okay. I don't want to be shepherded by culture. Um, can't trust religion. You know what I'm going to do? I've got it figured out. I'm going to shepherd myself. I'm going to do some self-shepherding. And honestly, I understand that feeling. I understand the feelings of suspicion. Uh, the failure of leadership all around has created an air of suspicion. Anytime someone rises with a grandiose vision, I'm like, mm, we'll see. And sometimes we feel like, you know what? I'm reasonably educated. I'm pretty thoughtful pretty discerning. I think I'm just going to shepherd myself. Unfortunately, there are some problems with that. 
like the fact that we are actually slaves to our own hearts. Things that, should we follow them, will lead us to horrific places. Have you ever had an addiction? Where you're addicted and you're completely embarrassed about it? The truth is, we don't want to bring an addiction into the light because you're filled with shame. And the reality is, more often than not, we can't lead ourselves. Instead, we actually need to be saved from ourselves because there are dark parts of our hearts. Things from our past that, that just keep coming up. Things that we can't seem to break free from. We try to lead ourselves, but we're enslaved by our own desires. And so we need to be safe, not only from our culture, not only from religion. We need to be safe from ourselves. Um, so years back, I, I read a psychological study called Judgment Under Uncertainty, Heuristics and Biases. Check it out. It's a real page turner. Um, not really. I do not recommend. Um, but the research there basically said, we think we're free to make decisions, but because we've had thousands of factors shape us over time, our parents, uh, our time in history, our, our nation of origin, our family dynamics, employers, the media, so on and so forth, all of these factors have formed this almost invisible subconscious web. We think we're making rational, autonomous decisions, but they're actually heavily influenced by all of these micro points of information that have created uh, cognitive bias. We just can't see beyond these invisible forces that have shaped us. And there's this giant myth of autonomy and personalization in our culture. And it gives us this perception that we can take control of our own lives. I'll just shepherd myself. You know, I'll, I'll curate myself, but what actually happens is the algorithm is my shepherd. Now, I'm not sure how much you know about Google searches, um, but each of us can, can go to Google, type in the exact same search, and we're all going to get different results that are curated towards our own personal biases. There are no uniform Google search results but they're in, personalized to the individual based on what the algorithm thinks you want. Not what you need. Not what's good for you. Not even what's true. But what it thinks you want at any given moment. And this just develops and reinforces our own cognitive bias. The algorithm is my shepherd. I get what I want. It lets me lie down in pastures that look pretty green to me. It guides me in the path that I want to go down. We think we're autonomous, but we're shaped in insidious ways. We're led by the algorithm. We're actually not leading ourselves at all. If you just did whatever you wanted, where would it take you? I mean, the choices are depressing. Lead myself, trust in religion, trusting culture at large. It can leave you asking, 
What hope is there? And it's into this reality that Jesus comes forward and makes his leadership claim that I am the good shepherd. But my leadership is different than any other form of leadership. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason that my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You see, Jesus is not a first century failed political revolutionary. Jesus is God in human flesh who voluntarily inserted himself into humanity to release another kind of leadership into the world. He laid down his life and he freely takes it up again. And this is important because you need someone who's not only kind, but you need someone who's strong. You need someone that you can trust but you need someone who's gonna get the job done. And this is who Jesus is. And it seems that in society today, it's somewhat rare to meet thoughtful and intelligent people who actually believe that Jesus Christ leads to the best kind of life. But have you ever read the gospels? Like, have you ever just gone through the Gospels and wondered what would the world look like if we actually submitted ourselves to Jesus? You compare the life and ministry of Jesus to the leaders in Ezekiel 34. I mean, his whole life was tending to the flock, strengthening the weak, healing the sick, bandaging the injured, bringing back the strays, seeking and saving the lost. His leadership was one of washing feet, welcoming in outcasts, blessing and loving those with sexual brokenness, welcoming cultural diversity, political terrorists, zealous tax collectors, teenage fishermen. He's able to gather all of them into a new humanity, all willing to submit their story under his leadership. And so I humbly submit to you that if you were to submit your life to Jesus, your heart would find peace, acceptance, and rest. I can't imagine what my life would look like if I tried to lead myself. Like I would be a hot mess, guys. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't live in Colorado. Kind of like it here. I met some important people. My wife. Um, how would I have responded to divorce? To health issues? The loss of an unborn child? And, and to be honest, I didn't handle all of those things great as it is. But I can't imagine if I was trying to lead myself. 
Like how poorly would that have gone? There would be no peace in my soul. There would be no still water. There would be the valley of the shadow of death with no comfort. Life under my own leadership would be hard. But in submitting to Jesus, I found freedom. I found hope. I found purpose. I found a call. I found a loving community of people. And that's the story of so many of us in this room. They've given their lives to Jesus. They've said, okay, you know, I've, I've got suspicions in my heart. Even though I'm terrified of the history of the church, I hear your voice, Jesus. I hear your invitation, and it sounds like good news. And this is what life is like under the leadership of Jesus. So there was one bishop um, from another era, so we don't really use language like this, but he just says this so poetically and so beautifully. Um, I had to share it with you. This is how he articulates Jesus's leadership. He says, the good shepherd proved and illustrated his own good shepherdhood by sympathy and love. It was by no flash of splendor or miracle of external power that he proved his divine leadership over the hearts of men but by coming to walk with them, to toil and hunger and suffer with them. He entered into mortal life by the same lowly door of human birth. He passed through it by the same path of toil and daily care. He made his exit from it through the same portal of suffering and death. In life and death, he walked with the sheep. Therefore, he could say, I am the good shepherd. Not merely because I'm commissioned and sent of my Father. Not merely because I wield the power of omnipotence. But I am the good shepherd, he said, because I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. Jesus entered in to the human story. He cut through all of our suspicion he laid down his life to rescue our hearts from sin, from cynicism, from doubt and despair. And he wants to lead us into a life of flourishing. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, the Eastern shepherd is the owner or his son. His wealth consists in sheep. He has seldom much of a house or much land. Ask him, how much are, your, are you worth? He answers, so many sheep. We are Christ's wealth. The riches of the glory of his inheritance is the saints. The Lord's portion is his people. For their sakes, he gave himself. And all of us, I believe, we ache for this sense of direction. We ache for this kind of leadership in our lives. And so just ask yourself the question, who are you following? If you're not consciously following someone, you're subconsciously being led by someone else. Who are you following? Devil, Lord, culture, girlfriend, career, whatever. 
You're going to follow something. Who's leading you? Are you being led by the culture? Are you being led by religion? Are you leading yourself? Or are you being led by Jesus? Jesus laid down his life for you. He wants to bring you to a future, and it's better than you can imagine. It's not easy. Uh, it's actually very hard to go against the culture. But in it, there's a life of depth, meaning, joy, and purpose. So maybe you're finally ready to suspend your suspicion. Maybe the words of Jesus really resonate with you. you. You see that he laid down his life for you. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to respond. So many of us in this room have had our lives changed in a meeting just like this by responding and saying, Jesus, here's my life. And we've never been the same. And if that's you, just say, Jesus, here I am. I surrender to you. Be my shepherd. Be my shepherd. Maybe you're wrestling with something. You just feel trapped and you, and you need someone to pray for you. You need some direction. Um, you need some care. We're going to sing a couple of songs in closing. And I just would encourage you to invite the good shepherd to lead you. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done that. Maybe it's the thousandth time you've done it. But, and maybe it's the first time you've ever meant it. Like, give the leadership of your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've got something big coming up this week, a, de a decision where you just need to hear God's voice. I encourage you to respond, to just turn your heart towards him as we sing. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you, you just need freedom from it. Maybe you need prayer for physical healing, an encounter with God. Maybe you need the care of the shepherd. Like, don't let anything keep you from responding to the good shepherd and letting him lead you to life. So I'm gonna pray for us. And as the band comes forward, we're gonna close in response to Jesus, our, our good shepherd. And I just wanna encourage you, sing to the Lord. Pray to the leader that you long for. Respond to Jesus, the good shepherd. Invite him to be the king of your heart, the Lord of your life, the leader that you follow. Do you pray with me? Jesus, you are the good shepherd. And for lots of reasons that we talked about today, um, it's really easy for us to miss that. We get caught up in a culture that's pulling us every direction but yours. We get hurt by other leaders that make us want to run from church, run from relationships, run from you. 
We let our hearts lead us to destructive places. And so God, I pray that you would lead us, that your spirit would just move in a powerful way in our hearts and our lives, that we would have this overwhelming sense of trust in who you are, in where you lead, and that it would just take us to places we could never go on our own, that we would follow you with our whole hearts and let you be the leader in our lives. We love you, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.